There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. My next guest is the breath of fresh air and flash of colour and inspiration we all need in our lives right now. We met just over a year ago through another podcast and have remained friends since. Lucy Bloom is a change maker, exceptional communicator and business fixer. She started out in advertising before she stepped into the role of CEO of a new women's health organisation. In less than three years, she created and led a small team to raise $7 million for a network of hospitals in Ethiopia. She then went on to transform a network of schools and health centres in Southeast Asia as the organisation's first CEO. She now consults as a strategy machine and governance gun for startups, not-for-profits and big business. You'll find Lucy challenging and entertaining in equal measure. She's a rule breaker, idea maker and momentum creator, inspiring with her storytelling and humour, always with an unforgettable message. Welcome, Lucy, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Now, uh, you and I are no strangers to a podcast, so it's so good to have you back. Now, for people who have been under a rock and have not heard of you, can you um, give us your background and uh, what you do? Sure. Lucy Bloom is my name. I'll work backwards, shall I? I um, coach and mentor CEOs. Uh, I'm a consultant, so I go. In, I call myself a business fixer. I go into, that's just my coffee machine turning <laughs> off, applauding me. Um, <laughs> I go into businesses and I, I work out their problems and I fix them. And I consult um, to boards um, in governance. Mm-hmm. It sounds really boring, but I actually find it really fun. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I instruct boards on how not to go to jail. Mm. Um, before that, I was, I'm a speaker too. So I speak at a lot of events, which are mainly on screen at the moment. So um, live mm. and pre recorded virtual events. And uh, before that, I was the CEO of two international aid charities, one in Cambodia, one in Ethiopia. And before that, I ran an advertising agency for 20 years. I um, was the managing director, founder, creative director type person for a long, long time until I was thoroughly bored of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and the more I've got to know you, you have such an incredible story. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and you're just so fascinating. And... Um, don't forget you're a, a fabulous collector of glasses we've just found out as well. Oh, <laughs> I like to collect interesting glasses. If you can't be beautiful, you might as well be interesting. That's it. Well, well, you'll just buy it. So there you go. I mean, yeah, no, I still need them. Yeah. <laughs> I have literally gone, 
I've lost my that short-term vision in one year, mm. which is very rude. Great reminder that I'm not getting any younger. Oh, I also forgot I'm an author. I've written you two are. books. Yes. And I have three kids. Mm. You don't <laughs> do things in halves, do you? <laughs> They'd be like, Mum, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that achievement, yeah. Um, yeah. What would you say is your mission? Oh, it cut out right as you said what – would you say is your? What is your mission? Oh, my mission. My mission is to have fun. Oh, so simple too. And that flows through everything I do. So if people have fun when they read my books, I am so happy. Mm. I don't want to preach. If I can get away with it, if I can, if I can wrap some learning in a really fun story, I'm happy with that too. But it, the fun, it, the fun is the juice for me. So I choose consulting work because it looks fun yeah. and I, I work um, I work with people to improve their businesses and so much of it is actually injecting fun into every level of the business their strategic plan the way they deal with their staff their marketing is usually boring as batshit <laughs> and really needs some fun and personality and authenticity um, I'm working with someone at the moment and it's taken me a solid week to work out what is wrong with her website it's just so boring. I cry. There's no fun in it. And humans, um, humans just love fun. Um, partly because um, it triggers off fabulous hormones that make mm. us feel good. And so it's not just a frivolous thing. It's actually an absolute must that we have fun every day. Mm. That's my mission: is to have fun. Oh, that I love it. Life well lived. If I have a ball. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that is such a, a good um you know thing to weave into everything you do because it just frees you up and I think you're more productive and you achieve more when you have fun and you actually Absolutely. want to do more and you bounce out of bed in the morning imagine waking up in the morning and dreading the grind of the day just utterly dreading it like if there's, we've all got massive challenges, especially at the moment. Everyone has challenges to face and mm. everyone has to do stuff they don't want to do. There's plenty of that, and me included. But if it's all wrapped in fun or if there's fun at the start of your day or you know you've got fun at the end of the day, like last night I don't know what came over me, but I did a, um, I did a self-defence type boxing class. I saw just, that. <laughs> they had these huge blue glow-in-the-dark balls and you just went in there and beat the shit out of them. It was really fun. That looked incredible. I'm not sure why I did that, but I'm going to go back and do it again. And then they spray everything with disinfectant and you go again. Hilarious. So good. And the instructor was very handsome. Oh, so that, that helps. I mm. think that might be why. <laughs> um, now, if we go back uh, to your days where you were uh, working in, in charities and, and fundraising, can you give us a bit of a background on what you did there? I know you, you did incredible work and raised a lot of money. Can you give us a bit of background on that? Sure. Um, to mention fun again, <laughs> one of the reasons why I was so successful as a fundraiser was I made sure it was fun, mm. fun for donors. Mm. So people don't expect a charity to pay out on the founder, for example, or to tease the donor, um, <laughs> to have fun with the recipients. Um, that just made complete sense to me. But my first role um, in a not-for-profit was as the CEO 
um, of a charity that I founded along with the, the founder in Ethiopia. So she's a pretty legendary lady, Dr. Catherine Hamlin. She died in March 2020 at the age of 95 or 6. Wow. Um, she's such an awesome lady. Uh, and we created that entity together and over the following three years we raised $3 million. And before I came along, her work was mainly marketed through faith networks. Mm. I don't know who decided that only churches would like to support her kind of work. She was a strong Christian, but I had this hunch that non-Christians would dig it too and I was right. Mm. So I pushed it out of church networks. Um, Other than church networks, Catherine had a really gorgeous book that sold a lot of copies and that created a lot of... Um, awareness of her work so I guess I harnessed that awareness and turned it into dollars um, as as much as I could so that was uh, I loved that role I loved working for Catherine I'd been traveling to and from Ethiopia for eight years Mm. um, visiting Catherine and as as a volunteer really um, photographer before I came became CEO Uh, and to be honest being a CEO is a lot less fun (laughs) <laughs> being a photographer yeah um yeah because photography you just rock up and do your own thing and you answer to nobody and as a ceo there's a board of directors who um you answer to and a bunch of stakeholders and sometimes some very grumpy donors mm. in general it's amazing people i got to build the team i adored the staff in ethiopia i loved the patients and my vo- the volunteer army that we built in australia were just the bomb they Mm. were the best um so I loved that role and I think it attracted wonderful people because it was fun yeah it was a pretty harrowing thing that we were doing hearing women with catastrophic childbirth injuries Mm. these stories are heartbreaking and very quickly I realized that if we focused on the heartbreak for too long we'd all get compassion fatigue me included staff everyone you just you can't neck deep in that stuff all day mm. because it starts to it just it just doesn't um hit home and so just for self-preservation I think I started bringing in much more fun stories um stories about staff even the patients that were fun and engaging and interesting not so harrowing and the the relief <laughs> to do that um sat so well with me I realised it would sit well with donors as well, so I made sure there was a huge mix that we didn't always hit them with the tough stories. Mm. Then I went on to work for an organisation in Cambodia and what Cambodia taught me was that I really missed Ethiopia. Mm. (laughs) Um, Cambodia is a very different place. There are more NGOs than poor people, to be honest. It's a very NGO-driven country these days. It's been 40 years or more uh, since Pol Pot, destroyed that country and executed anyone with an education and there's still there's enormous generational trauma and there is still that desperate fear of education because when Pol Pot marched through education was a death sentence Mm. and so there's still that desperate fear of education so it's really tough working with a population that doesn't that that um that would prefer not to be educated yeah Uh, and there's just so many NGOs they're all (coughs) fighting with each other uh, which was not the case in Ethiopia. The NGOs all loved each other, worked together, um, welcomed expats, just, oh, yes, another one, please. Come mm. um, Cambodia, not so much. So I found Cambodia a lot less fun. Yeah. So I, I only stuck around for <laughs> 13 months, which is about, 
I don't know, 11, a bit, 11 too long for me on yeah. that role. It was really tough. Wow. Um, and your books. So, you know, speaking of childbirth, um, you have two books out now, don't you? Three, actually. three, three. My God, I missed one. Now, yes, the third one is a collection of birth stories by men. Yeah, and that one's called From Lads to Dads, and that one I keep because it's only in ebook format. Every mm-hmm. time I interview another epic dad, I add it to the ebook. Oh, that's um, good. And so it just keeps getting bigger. Yeah, which is very cool, and it gives me an opportunity if I meet someone and go, "Hey, can I interview you for my book?" Mm. Whack them in. That's like the <laughs> ever-growing childbirth book, which is great. Um, but my first book was Cheers to Childbirth, which is a dad's guide to childbirth support. Yeah. I noticed that there was this big gap that we were telling women and men how to prepare for childbirth, but we were expecting men to understand and to get it all in women language. Mm. So we we're really talking to the women, hoping the dude would listen, and that's not how you communicate. Yeah. You don't communicate with a child or communicate with an adult hoping the child will listen or, you know, communicate with married women hoping that retired women will listen. Like you just, mm. there's no yeah. other place in communication that you would hope another sector would just listen in and get it. Mm. So uh, so I, I initially I created childbirth workshops in the pub mm. which were a huge success and they're still going strong. Actually sold that business to one of my best presenters. And then I wrote the book, Choose to Childbirth. And that book, people uh, keep having babies. So that book keeps yeah. selling. And now um, during COVID, <coughs> COVID-19, uh, hospitals are limiting women to only one support partner mm. in hospital. So in general, that is going to be the dad. So mums and sisters, doulas or childbirth childbirth support partners have all got the boot from hospital births. Mm. Uh, and so suddenly, no pressure, the dads really do have to know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so um, that book keeps going strong. And then there is uh, my memoir, yeah. which is called Get the Girls Out. Yeah. And that was published a year ago. That that is memoirs, my publisher warned me. They said memoirs are a slow burn and they keep selling for years. So... Don't worry if it doesn't sell like mad in the first month. And lucky for me, they never tell me how many books I've sold. So Mm. (laughs) (laughs) they just blindly trot on thinking it's a bestseller. Let's just go with that, shall we? (laughs) I get a lot of amazing reviews. It makes my day when I I see a new review um, to get the girls out. And it it has really, really knocked my socks off uh, what effect that book has had on people. I mm. thought I would just be telling my story. I met someone who said to me, just write the stories you want to leave for the people you love. Best advice mm. for an in the whole wide world because I was trying to write a sort of technical business book. I thought I was really clever <laughs> and, you know, I'd learnt so much and and that was killing me because I felt like a massive wanker <laughs> trying to write this technical business book when I'm a lady with pink hair who has an awful lot of fun. I've learnt a lot, can share a lot, but, yeah, am I a technical business writer? No, I'm not. Mm. (laughs) I've discovered. (laughs) So she gave me this awesome advice and that just changed the way I wrote and was perfect. Uh, So I thought I was just writing these really cool stories for the people I love and everyone else could have a read. But since it's been published, the reviews and a lot of the personal emails and notes I get from people is about how it has made them look at their own lives. Mm. I never imagined it would it would have that introspective 
Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Ability. Mm. Just so wonderful. But it's made people look at their own lives and inspired them to take new steps, do new things chalk their life up with more fun and have a go. So when anyone asks me what is the main theme of that book, mm. I've had to think on that. It's taken me a while. It's about having a red-hot go. Yeah. Just have a go. You want to launch that business? What are you waiting for? No one no one cares. Honestly, most people worry about giving something a crack and they might fail. So what? Mm. At least <laughs> you have a go. You fail. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, if there are people who do care, they have really little brains <laughs> and we don't really care what they think. Exactly. I would say it's a Brené Brown quote. She says, you get one square inch of paper mm. on which to write the names of the people whose opinions matter to you. And I have really big handwriting, so there's only two <laughs> or three names on my piece of paper. So those, those ones matter and I often run my crazy ideas past those people. There's actually... So I booted my mum off my square inch Ooh. of paper. <laughs> she's 80 and she's, um, I've noticed in the last couple of years she's become more fearful than she's ever been. Mm. She's a little more anxious than is her usual character. Yeah. So she'll see, she'll see the problem in things, um, whereas in the past she'd say, oh, you can do anything, Lucy. Now she's like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I've had to boot her off my little committee. Um, so I'm just so delighted that that book has made people itchy to do their own awesome stuff. And I get these amazing emails. Lucy, I was halfway through a PhD in something, I had parked it and now I'm back at it. Or Lucy, I've decided to become a librarian because of your book. Mm. Or um, all sorts of things. Mm. So unreal, so fabulous. Can't that- wait in 10 years' time. People will have achieved some of the things that they didn't think they could do. Yeah. That, yeah, that really excites me. Yeah, and what I've seen from you is you you don't hold back. Like um, if if you're after something, you, you'll just go for it and you recommend others to do the same. And I think a lot of us, we get stuck in our head and we'll overanalyze and we'll get tall poppy syndrome and we'll get, you know, imposter syndrome, all these kind of things going on and we'll just get into such a spiral that we just do nothing. And I yeah, think it's super right. And important. also a lot of people think they have to wait till they're ready. Yeah. And um, how boring. <laughs> <laughs> you can, if I, I actually say this to women a lot. Women think they have to be qualified to mm. do it. Oh, I want to start a board career. I better go and do some board qualifications. Well, women are the most highly qualified board members. Men just ask a mate. And go, you got a board position? I'll be there. Yeah. Women go and spend 10 grand on the qualifications. They're overqualified. And you know what happens then? It's the woman on the board who actually knows what she's talking about. And then they call her a nag mm. because she's the one going, actually, that would be non compliant. Mm. <laughs> so I, um, especially to women, I say, don't feel like you need to rush off and get qualified because the dudes aren't. 
go and apply for those things. Men apply for things that are wildly out of their league. Absolutely. Do it. Go and apply for things out of your league. Apply mm. 10 times a week for the things that you are not qualif- quite qualified for. Mm. Surprise yourself. Um, and also perfection. Perfection is the death of fabulous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and people think, oh, God, it has to be perfect before we go live um, or before I launch, before I tell anyone, before I do some testing. You know, testing is great but go live and then test while you're at it. Yeah. Um, because it's it's the doing and the, and the launching and the seeing <clears throat> things that come to life and the feedback you'll get that actually breathes life into these things. If you wait, they will never, ever happen. They'll just be ideas in your head or gorgeous websites that are on staging sites, not actually live, getting traffic and feedback. Can't A, B test something. It's a staging (laughs) site. (laughs) So, yeah, I say go, go, go. I'm actually coaching someone at the moment who wants to be a life coach and I said exactly this to him. He said, oh, I should probably get qualifications. And I looked it up for him and he could spend 18 months full time or he could just dive in and go. Mm. Uh, I remember when I trained as a doula on our very first day of training, this gorgeous woman, Denise Love, she said, you are officially a doula already. You need to start attending births. You already know an enormous amount about holding the space for a woman and you just just hold the space and I'm your coach. I will be there if you need me and go, start attending births. And two weeks later I was at a birth going, I'm a doula. <laughs> and, and I did know how to just be with a woman. It, it just took the, someone to tell me, you know how to do this. Mm. And I've said the same thing to this guy. You know what to do. If you are wondering, oh, God, what do I say next, just make like you're talking to a cousin. And you would listen, you would reassure them, and you'd help them make a plan, and that's mm. what coaches do. Um, so go, 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 and he's got his first client, or he could wait 18 months and be qualified to get his first client. So, yeah, go, go, go. Yeah. Have a red-hot go. That's it. And, I mean, you know, like even me with my business, when I started I, I had one vision and one purpose, and the more I got into it, the more it grew into something bigger than me, and I just went, yeah, that was meant to happen and it literally happened overnight. I didn't wait. I just went for it and look at where we are. Some people look at the huge huge task ahead and it frightens them. Yeah. I always recommend a little app, what's it called, Microsoft To Do. It's the simplest to-do list Mm -hmm. um, app and it makes this gorgeous ka-ching sound when you tick something (laughs) off, which gives you a dopamine high. And I always say just if something looks huge, just chop it up into a million little pieces and, and just, or even 365 pieces and just do one little piece per day and yeah. you'll get there. Just chop it down a little bit, you'll get there. Absolutely. I, I, um, I have this saying, uh, you know, for a lot of my staff, <laughs> I, I say eat the frog, you know, actually you know, do the things <laughs> you don't want to do, eat the frog and then move on. Your day will get easier. Or um, when people are overwhelmed, I'll say, how does an elephant eat a fridge? One bite at a time. <laughs> so that's what yeah. you've got to do. Yeah, um, and hang on. Does eat the frog mean do the hardest thing first? Yeah. Is that what that's about? Yeah. 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 I do that. I do what makes me cringe a bit, makes me go, <laughs> yeah. do that first. And then what I've, I reward myself too. Mm. I'm, I, I respond well to reward. And so I do things and, and I don't have my first coffee of the day. Oh, actually, it's my second coffee. <laughs> I don't have my second coffee of the day until I've done whatever's the hardest thing on my list to do. Oh, that's a good reward. Reward. Yeah. 
Um, now, what would you say has been your biggest challenge um, in the work that you do and how have you overcome it? Biggest challenge, probably the biggest challenge is getting people with narrow-minded approaches to let go and, and let me do it. Mm. Um, that's been the biggest challenge. It's Once I've been given the reins, um, we're off and running and I know how to get, I know how to communicate really tricky communication pieces for mass appeal. I know how to get broad-minded people on board easy. Little narrow-minded folk who can only see a risk profile mm. or think that giving a lady with pink hair and a loud laugh the reins is a scary move. <laughs> so those sorts of people I, I often can't get on board um, because they come from a background that's driven by fear. Mm. And so people who lead with fear don't succeed. Mm. Um, I always say if if I'm sitting before a board and they're trying to decide whether they implement my strategy or hire me to even do the strategy, I always say I'm not a business-as-usual kind of lady. So you do not hire me for business-as-usual. You hire me if you want rapid growth or rapid change to embrace something rapid and new and radical. If you want me to babysit your staff, you're wasting my time, your money. Mm. <laughs> so that usually clears things up but that's my biggest challenge is if say a board has a number of people who go yes this this chick will do this for us and then there are a number of other people who sat usually I can spot them a mile off they sat on that board for 15 years yeah and change scares them Mm. Uh, most people want things to stay the same but just get better (laughs) yeah whilst staying identically the same (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it, it, it takes brave people to embrace change and sometimes I find it hard to be the one. My biggest challenge is trying to convert those those little narrow folk. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to ask you this one. Can you define what being ethical means to you? Oh, being ethical to me is knowing in deep down in your heart what is right. Mm. And doing it. Yes. <laughs> I was in a job once uh, where, and I have to be really careful that I don't identify that job because I signed a big um, non-disclosure mm. do the lucky when I left. But I was in a role that made me feel really dirty. By the time I left there, I needed a big scrub. <laughs> <laughs> Unethical, <clears throat> very, very sketchy mm. business going on there. And I, part of the reason why I took that particular role was that I thought I could be the leader that cleans up that situation or those situations or all those inherent issues. But when it comes from the top down, which is beyond me, above mm. me, when that comes from the top down, you become the meat in the sandwich between an unethical ownership or leadership and everything that, that, I, re- that I was responsible for. Mm. And I can't be that big a piece of meat in the ethic, in the ethical sandwich. <laughs> so uh, I learnt from that that you, um, if the people you report to work for, the people who pay your bills, the people who hire you don't have the same values as you, you are screwed. Mm. You're never going to be able to filter that 
off from the business. It will always run through the business. So by yeah, by the time I left there, I felt really <coughs> dirty. I needed a good dunk in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to me, being ethical is knowing what is right and doing mm. it, even if it's hard. Yeah. It's the right thing. I always say this as a CEO, this is one of my parenting philosophies too. I'm here to make the right decision, not the popular decision. Mm. Mm. Say that to my kids all the time. <laughs> and and that is CEO life. Yeah. Uh, I made some very unpopular decisions in both my CEO roles, but I knew they were the right thing for the people that we were working for. Mm. So in Cambodia, for example, I cancelled our volunteer program. So there were a lot of well-meaning, lovely white folk who were really, really irritated with me that the volunteer program was cancelled. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't the right thing to do for the locals. We were shipping these white folk in, rich white folk. They come to Cambodia, they get sick straight away, they drink too much, mm. um, they don't speak the local language. So then um, all the recipients, the people we work with, the residents, the kids, whoever, they're having to speak English for these blow-ins. Uh, by week three they're missing home, week four they do their shopping and they go home. Mm. So they weren't a, a va- they weren't valuable to the organisation. So I changed it to a mentoring program and it was very skill specific. So people could come to us and say, okay, I have a particular skill. Mm. They had to go for a minimum of three months and they had to pay their own way, pay all their expenses to go. And they had to fundraise. Mm. <laughs> so I turned it from um, volunteerism, which is basically what it was when I inherited the business, um, to, to a self-funded long-term mentoring and it completely changed things. But it also knocked out all those well-meaning, you know, mm. school leavers and stuff. Um, and we were just babysitting them, pain in the ass. Mm. But yes, um, Making those unpopular decisions is sometimes the ethical thing to do and you just grow thick skin because some people, I got some really hairy phone calls from, from monstrous bogans <laughs> who uh, had gone every year. Yeah. And that was, you know, it's my annual leave. I come to Cambodia and I let the fish, the fishies suck the dead skin off my feet, the oh mainstream God. of seam rape. <laughs> <laughs> and I teach English really badly during the day and you've ruined my holiday. Oh, so God. just grow thick skin. That's what <laughs> um, the ethical is to me. Now, um, I've got to ask you, I know in these times um, with COVID, uh, it's changing day to day, um, but I'm interested to know what your future plans are. Me too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um the only thing that uh, that's because I have five or six income streams as mm. every business should have, and the only income stream of mine that I truly don't know what's going to happen with is my speaking work mm. because live events are so up in the air at the moment. Who knows what's going to happen with live events? Some of them have turned virtual. Mm but certainly not all. And what my biggest concern is is that live events have a certain electricity that you can't replicate online. And that electricity comes from the networking, not from me as the speaker. Yeah. It comes from those people who um, are away from their teams and their other distractions, away from their kids, co-workers, all that stuff. The only distraction they have is their phone, which they sometimes get dragged into work issues but my job as a speaker is to have them so enthralled mm. that they forget they have phones. So 
that networking, the people they meet, I'm still in touch with people I met at conferences five, six, ten years ago mm. because you met them face-to-face and um, you went through the same thing together. There's this sense of going through this thing together Yeah, that online events cannot replicate. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with live events. It may just mean that we're all a bit more hygienic. It should be wonderful. Um, if I never shake another person's hand again, I'm cool with that. Mm. I don't mind that at all. Someone tried to shake my hand last night and I went, no thanks. <laughs> uh, but the other parts of what I do, so coaching has uh, coaching will be alive and well and continue. Mm. Um, I'm sure I will write more books. Uh, I know that reading and book sales have taken off in 2020. Oh, yeah. Mm. Because people are like, plenty of time, what will, you know, time to kill and they all I'm seeing in my feed are people with their stacks of books yeah. they have to read. <laughs> I always look to see if my book's in there. <laughs> uh, uh, one of my other income sources, my books, my coaching, my speaking, consulting. I mean, certainly businesses are pulling in their expenses and looking at ways that they can streamline. And I've consulted often to businesses that are um, looking after remote teams because I've done that a lot where I've managed mm. a team all over the world. Um and the streamlining is second nature to me for that kind of team management. So there's a, a new a new need for that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so everything's going digital and that's something that I'm good at so I can share that knowledge. So, yeah, the only thing I'm unsure about really is, is speaking and I miss it because as a speaker we do it. If a speaker tells you anything else, they are lying. <laughs> Speakers do it for the endorphin rush yeah. that we get. Yeah. Go on stage and that warm feedback that you get from an audience, there's actually nothing like it. Yeah. It feels so good and it actually buzzes you for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, so Whereas when I speak online, I put just as much en- energy, animation, laugh at my own jokes, <laughs> um, but I'm staring at a little green dot. Yeah. And and I get nothing back, no sound, nothing. Um and I find it really exhausting. So when I, I give a one-hour presentation and I've thrown everything into it, I crawl into bed at 8 o'clock at night and sleep mm. for 12 hours. Yeah. Because it's all output and no input, no sizzle. Yeah. Um, so I love it and I still do it. It's just less, um, yeah, I really miss the buzz. We yeah. All do. <laughs> I totally understand that because I've, I've done a bit of it myself. So I totally understand getting that energy back is so meaningful in, in what you deliver. So... Hopefully we get back to that again soon. Um, now, if people want to find out more about you, Lucy Bloom, where can they go? Well, I'm, I'm frighteningly easy to find. <laughs> Honestly, if you just Google Lucy Bloom, there appears to be only one. Funnily enough, when I changed my surname, it's a funny story, when I changed my surname because I um, had my father's name for the first 21 years, man gave me his name, then I was an idiot and I took my husband's name what was I thinking? I got married when I was 21. Mm. So I took a man's name for 21 years. And then when we split, I thought, I'm going to pick a new name. Did I know you then when I chose my new name? No, I don't think you did. Oh, because I got the internet to vote on my surname. Oh, right. So, <laughs> uh, and the internet chose Bloom and I love Bloom. And so I'm just going to Bloom for the rest of my life. I really love Lucy Bloom. But one of the names I was going, I was seriously considering was Wild, Lucy Wild. Ooh. I really like that. Mm. But if you Google Lucy Wild, it's a porn star with the oh. hugest boobs you've ever seen. 
And I think it's really important when you choose a business name, a person name, any name, Google it first. <laughs> Do your research. With in the search engine optimization. <laughs> There's no way I was going to beat her in the SEO ranks because wow. she has some serious rack. So and the internet decided for me anyway. So Bloom it is. Google Lucy Bloom and you will find me easily. But um, my website is thelucybloom.com. Indeed. Uh, and there's links to everything there that you'll find my podcast, my books, consulting, all that stuff's there. Mm. Oh, now- and follow me on Instagram because, damn, that's a difficult platform to grow. <laughs> and well, last, time, last time we did a podcast we were talking about your Instagram and the most popular photos are you are your hair. People just love your hair. hair just goes off. Mm. And so when you, <laughs> when you scroll through my Instagram, it's like every 10th picture or maybe every 6th picture, it's just <laughs> me and my head. <laughs> um, yeah, people just love it. Funny, hey? They are great photos. They're very eye-catching too, so it's no yeah. surprise. Now, I've got the big question for you, Luce. You ready? Yeah. I thought we'd had some big ones, no, but, you know. Not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Oh, more fun. Yeah. And stop being so serious. Mm. It's that simple. Stop being so serious. Stop taking yourself so seriously. So many people take themselves so painfully seriously. I was married to one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people who take themselves seriously get offended easily, which mm. is just the most monstrous waste of energy. Mm. Don't take things so seriously and you'll have so much more fun. And if things are more fun and more lighthearted, we'll actually have more bandwidth and energy for the really important things, um, the important things that we need to focus on, like uh, like women's health, because we'll have less time spent being all hurty about mm. what someone said on the internet and more time to deal with women's health and domestic violence and the really serious stuff that um, that affects our that our, affects our communities. Mm. So more fun <clears throat> and all you need to do to have more fun is stop being so serious. <laughs> that is the best answer so far, I reckon, to that question. <laughs> if I took myself seriously, would I be wearing these ridiculous glasses? <laughs> <laughs> They're enormous. I wear them to board meetings and it makes everyone just shut up and listen. <laughs> and they must just look at you because <laughs> and listen. On, look, I'll go, oh hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> That's funny. Thank you so much, Lucy, for being a part of the ethical evolution. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.